Hello, all you wonderful listeners. Today on Rise Up, our topic is complete health. Our guest is a board-certified licensed nurse practitioner, health coach, and writer. She is an advocate for nutrition and lifestyle and behavior modifications that result in a healthier you. Her passion and focus is in the mind and body connection for optimum health. Today, we welcome Shelly Johnson. Thank you for being here, Shelly. As a healthcare professional, what was the year 2020 like for you? Well, my goodness, 2020 was a dandy. As a healthcare professional, it was challenging. We were suddenly hit with a pandemic. Many of us, those were things we only read about and studied about. And you start educating, you learn and learn and then try to educate. I think the the part of it for healthcare professionals is we saw the more negative side of COVID-19. And so we could see more so than the general population, all the bad things. So it produced a lot of frustration in the ranks because it was you, sometimes you felt like you might be spitting in the wind, so to speak. But it was also met with people who genuinely wanted to know the information. There was a lot of uncertainty. And for me, I always want to be able to be the one to assure my patients. And I couldn't do that in every instance mm-hmm. because the virus was so new. We didn't have any data. We really didn't know what to expect, so to speak. And then as things started happening... You know, we had to stay on our feet, constantly learning. Every day, your inbox was full of emails about COVID this, COVID that. It was just COVID. You got sick of the word. Still don't particularly like that word now. Mm -hmm. But there were lots of rules. Suddenly, you had to become a telemedicine expert, whereas you really hadn't done any telemedicine before. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of change. You had to stay on your feet, and it was quite stressful. I personally... Had some patient exposure, so to speak, but nothing like some of the more frontline workers like ICU and the floor workers. It also gave me a sense of gratitude that people would put their lives in danger to do that. It gave me a new respect for my peers and my coworkers at the hospital. And there was a unity. So there were some positives be, to be taken away from a very negative situation. But you know, overall, it wasn't something that you really think that you're going to sign up to do when you originally get into healthcare, And then when it happens, it's like, boy, this is real. You know, you didn't sign up for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so to speak, you do sign up for it, you read about it. But the reality is when it happens, it's a little bit frightening, disconcerting. I remember just stepping out in the hallways wearing my mask. And, you know, for the first time, once we had the mask mandate, And we started seeing COVID cases in the hospital, and it was a little bit disconcerting, a little frightening. But then you started getting used to it, not to the fact where you were lazy or careless with your habits and how you masked and who you talked to and how, you know, keeping your distance. But it was stressful, to say the very least. More stressful for some others, I would say, but it was still stressful. Definitely, it was in the forefront of your mind at all times with many decisions. You always had COVID just sitting right there in front mm-hmm. of any even routine decisions. Explain what you do now and your path to getting where you are today. Okay. I'm a board-certified nurse practitioner, and 
I currently work in cardiology. The path to getting there was an interesting thing. As a child, I always wanted to be a nurse. That was an early dream. And it wasn't necessarily fostered in some ways, but I eventually got to the point to where I became an LPN, licensed practical nurse, and I remember saving up the money to go to school for that one year. And I didn't have a really a good support system that said, I believe you, you can do this, you're smart enough. Generally, you know, at the time that I was growing up, it was, well, you just get married and have babies and stay at home kind of thing. And that wasn't the path for me. As you know, our generation, we all mostly work. We're professionals. Women have come a long way since that time. But I did. I stepped out in faith, and I went the easy route. But eventually, I went and got my registered nurse's license. And then at that point, it was like, you know what? If I could do that, I could do this too. And, you know, so I got my confidence with every level that I took and eventually became a nurse practitioner which I so enjoy, but I appreciate my early days as being an LPN and an RN as well because it helped me be the nurse practitioner that I am today. I don't think you should ever despise your small beginnings at all, and those really aren't small beginnings, so I don't want anybody to think that I'm saying what they do is not important because it's greatly important. But I always remember where I come from. Mm -hmm. So what does a nurse practitioner do? A nurse practitioner depending on which state you're in. So in the state of Arkansas, we work with what we call a collaborating physician. We work underneath their license. So we don't practice independently. So let's say I couldn't just run over to the corner and just throw my shingle up and say, hey, I want to see everybody who wants to come see me for whatever reasons. We don't do that. So you have someone, the collaborating physician, who you sign an agreement with that helps you. They're a resource. They guide you. They're invaluable. I love that arrangement. I could not do what I do without the wisdom and knowledge and support of a collaborating physician. So today, we're coming out of 2020 and we're going into 2021. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about complete and total health. What does that mean to you? <laughs> Well, complete and total health, well, let me back up. So when we talk the word health, everybody always thinks physical. They think, you know, you know, heart attacks or diabetes or, you know, any various things. They say either they're in good health or poor health because of certain disease processes. Total health is a package, and one affects the other. It, we're also treating the mind as well, okay? So... It's mind and it's also physical. There are reasons or, or things that affect each other. If you have obesity and you're struggling with it, so why are you overeating? So you're treating mental health as well. I often find in questioning my patients who are overweight or struggling with obesity or they've had the gastric bypass surgery, you know, what was your reason for overeating? You know, we need to lose weight. What Do you know what that is? And some of them are surprised. They're like, well, I hadn't really thought of that, you know. Oftentimes, if you dig just a little bit, and I'm not a mental health professional, so to speak, but I want to get patients thinking, why, why do you overeat? 
Okay, I need you to lose weight. Well, that's e- well, it's not easy, but exercise. You need to exercise. You need to restrict your calories, etc. But do you know why you're tempted to overeat? And you know, often you'll find well, it's anxiety or sometimes abuse from childhood. People are just trying to get that 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 dump, that sugar feel that. I feel okay, I feel normal, and that's why they overeat. So you have to look at the patient as a whole package, not just, wow, you're overweight, you need to you need to move. You know, you have to go a little deeper. So when we're talking about complete health, we have to look at both functions, you know, the mind as well as, you know, the physical things. Well, let's talk about the mind. How directly does that, I mean, you mentioned the weight aspect. What other physical ailments may start in the mind? Okay. Anger management issues, people who are angry. So that's a lot of different, that's a big animal. Okay. So a lot of that is stressors. There could be people who feel out of control. They feel underappreciated, could be abuse. And, you know, that often happens. Sometimes very angry individuals were oppressed and abused in some way in early in life. You'll see a lot of those, but how does that manifest in the physical realm? Well, it's common knowledge that, you know, anger can make your blood pressure rise. Okay, so high blood pressure, you know, that leads to strokes, heart disease, heart failure, things like that. So those things, they manifest in both, both realms per se. And so I always want to talk to patients about, you know, when we're doing lifestyle modifications, think about, you know, what's bothering you. Are you anxious? Oftentimes anxiety drives blood pressure. Pain drives blood pressure, okay? It's people with chronic pain. So it's not just a one-size-fits-all, here's one pill and it fixes it. You're Sometimes you're tre- treating a variety of symptoms in a patient. Well, how do you heal your mind? Well, so, you know, the, the pat answer is, well, you go get counseling. Well, okay, let's be honest. A lot of people won't seek counseling. Now, there are ways to heal your mind. I talk to patients about, you know, what overwhelms you the most in your life? What, tell me, what, what do you find overwhelming? A lot of people feel like they, are, they don't have time to exercise. So if you're getting resistance, you know, they're not walking 30 minutes a day. You know, what's, why, you know? Well, we've got ball games. We've got, you know, you've got church activities. I've got to sit on this committee, my job. You know, my husband needs this and that and the kids and I'm driving and, you know, there's all this stuff. Now, a lot of those things are important. But in, in talking even with a friend the other day, it's not just patients I talk to about these things. It's like, well, do you have time? Because you always get, I don't have time to exercise. But I like to counteract that and say, well, we have time for what is important. So if I'm binge watching on Netflix and not exercising, then Netflix is more important than exercising. Okay? So there is a prioritization in your mind that you have to get straight. What is the priority here? Also, in treating the mind, we have to be really careful about social media. Social media, as many 
people know, has a tendency to be negative. I would say in 2020 is the most negative I've ever seen social media, politically as well as the COVID pandemic. The responses varied. There was a lot of hate-filled responses, people warring with each other, etc. I found at the end of the day, especially with all the stressors I was having at work, Facebook became a huge stressor. And I would limit it, or sometimes I would go several days without logging on. And it could be any social media. I just said Facebook. But that will affect your mental health. You're not going to, if you shut it down and have a negative, oppressed feeling, angry, upset, worried about your future after you read social media comments, then you need to start rethinking about where you're spending your time. Okay? So if you look at things like that, that's how you kind of start treating yourself from the, the mind standpoint. You know, the, there's the old saying, garbage in, garbage out. Well, that is very, very true. What you put into your mind is what comes out of your mouth, okay? So if you, if you sit there and feed yourself with, you know, hate-filled things, eventually you're going to take on that persona as well because that's what you're surrounding yourself with. You become those kind of things. So you have to be careful what you're bringing into the windows of your soul, And so I'm very protective of that. I have to be very careful about what I allow in. I'm careful about even who I hang out with. I don't don't want to be in the middle of gossip because then you become more of a critical person if you start. Then you're like, oh, yeah, I see what they're saying. Hmm. You know, who's got time for that? I want to be the positive person. I want to see the bright side. If you're told something negative, whether at work or home life, it's like, okay, what's, what's the bright side? How can I find the positive in this? When you were talking about social media, Mm -hmm. I immediately thought of conflict and how we are basically desensitized to conflict Mm -hmm. because that's just, that's ordinary now. Someone gives one response and you comment back and then it's just, it's back and forth. Let's talk about stress and anxiety. How do we not feel stressed and we, how can we not feel anxious? Okay. Well, one thing I can say is busyness of the American lifestyle contributes to stress and anxiety. Mm. We are too busy. And if you think about it, we are a microwave society. We want it now. We want it instantly. We don't want to wait. And a lot of reasons why. Some of that may be some entitlement. We're used to everything getting, you know, immediately, fast food, whatever. But a lot of that is stress because we've overextended ourselves. We are too busy. That is going to create a stressful environment. You're always going to feel the pressure. Stress will suppress your immune system. If you have enough stress long enough, you are going to get sick. The studies prove that out. So you need to learn to manage your stress. You need to learn to manage your anxiety. Anxiety really, at the very root of it, is fear-based. It's fear of the unknown, so you're anxious because you feel like the other foot's going to drop or you're a worrier, so you're always thinking, you know, what's going to happen to my kid? What's going to happen to, you know, the money? What's, you know, and oftentimes fear is based on being things that are not real 
Okay. Reality, often, it never actually turns out to be what you fear in the long run. Some things occasionally, yes, but a lot of it is just false information. I think somebody had said at one time, fear, F-E-A-R, was false evidence appearing real. I've heard that, and it's true. That's what really what a lot of fear is. And so you have to look at it for what it is. Is there any validity to why I'm feeling fearful? And if so, how do you deal with it? But oftentimes we're dreaming it up because we don't have control of something or we're just fear of the unknown. But then there's other people, uh, you know, many people out there that some of their fears legit. They may not know where their next meal is going to be or how they're going to pay the light bill or the rent. And so they're worried about that. Those are things that are legitimate as far as feeling it. It doesn't change the outcome, though. So how do you draw the happiness or the joy of the moment without staying in the future and fearing something that you may or may not can control? One thing that I've done with my life in order to deal with stress is I have gotten rid of many possessions, so to speak, such as clutter in the house. I realized, and there are some studies about this, but I realized that the more you have to manage, the more stressful and overextended you are. So even if dusting becomes less of a task because you're not having to dust every little widget of, you know, 100 widgets on the Mm -hmm. shelf, you know, you don't have to deal that. Now I just swipe the shelf. You know, house cleaning is a lot easier, and there is a sense of orderly peace in the house because everything is cleaned or at least put away. I can't say it's perfectly clean. We have dogs, but you know, so it's not a perfectly clean house, but clutter makes you feel nervous. So if you have books and stuff stacked everywhere, if you go into the kitchen and you're rummaging through a drawer looking for that one spoon, you know, that you want for this particular dish, you're spending two minutes digging, you wasted two minutes, on an unorganized drawer. Clean the drawer out. If you haven't used any of that stuff in a year or so, probably don't need it. Another thing is with your closet. You know, the rule of thumb is, is if you have not uh, worn anything in your closet in a year, they say toss it, donate it. There's lots of places you can donate. Some of you guys have (laughs) prom dresses or formals. You need to give those up. I can't wear half the stuff in my closet because of... 2020 and COVID. And COVID. COVID-19. That's the 19 pounds. That's <laughs> it what is. it sounds stands for. You're going to gain the 19 pounds in COVID, but I, I digress. But it is. If you clean out the closet and get rid of stuff that, honestly, you're never going to wear, even if you lose the weight, it's not going to be in style when you get there. So donate it. Somebody out there is going to appreciate it. They'll need it and give it because there's a sense of generosity, of well-being that comes from being generous. So you can gain that in doing good, but you also have an organized closet so you can walk in, you know exactly what you're dealing with, you're not standing there for 10 minutes trying to figure out what you want to wear, and then trying on eight things, oh, that doesn't fit anymore, you know, all that and the frustration of that. And it sounds simple, and it actually is. You need to get rid of the excess in your closets, in your drawers. I've gone through bathroom cabinets, I didn't realize how, you know, eight bottles of lotion and three different kinds of hairspray and, you know, all of that. So I started, I had myself 
you know, I couldn't buy any more hair products until I used up what I had. So I did that. So think of all the money I saved, and I've saved time because now I know exactly what I have, and I, and I have exactly what I like. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what you need, and what I need. So also in the closet arena, if you're looking at something, and not only if you haven't worn it in a year. But if you were shopping at that very moment and that's in your hands, would you actually buy it then? Would you buy it now compared to then? If you're like, nah, I probably wouldn't buy that, then get rid of it. You don't really like it. <laughs> so True. so that's a good rule of thumb as far as cleaning out and getting rid of the clutter and getting some more order in your life. You said that anxiety and stress suppress your immune system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What should you be doing to boost your immune system back up? Well, the, the studies as far as the immune system, you know, this, you know, supplements, it's a mixed bag. The supplement industry is a multi-million dollar industry, okay? So you can't believe everything everybody says. I'm a bit of a minimalist because the studies just flat out don't pan out for taking handfuls of supplements. I think a multivitamin every day helps the immune system. Zinc is in those things. Vitamin uh, C's in them. You know, you get the very B vitamins that support the nervous system. But you don't need a handful of pills. One good name brand multivitamin will do. You also need like vitamin D3. That's one thing they did find in the COVID uh, pandemic is people that were low on D3, you know, had more trouble. So next time you see your primary care provider, you know, ask to have your D levels drawn and, and see if you're deficient so you know. The problem and the reason why we don't have as much D as our ancestors used to be is we're not out in the sun. We're in, you know, in artificial lighting all day. We don't get to go out and work in the sun and grow crops and, you know, feed the chickens and whatever. And so that's affected D levels. So D supplementation is very reasonable. A few other things, you know, some women need calcium supplements to make sure, you know, bone health, things like that. But ultimately, those things support the immune system. But what actually supports the immune system besides trying to get rid of stressors in your life is exercise, you can over-exercise and stress the immune system. Those are like the strenuous exercise. But even moderate walking 30 minutes a day helps the immune system. It helps with weight loss. It helps with a sense of well-being, etc. So those are things you can do. The other thing to support the immune system is your diet. Your diet gets, has the, the ability to overwhelm your immune system. With processed foods, and when I say processed foods, we're talking about fast foods, anything that sits on a shelf in a bag or a box that can sit there for weeks and a year without going bad is a processed food. If you can read the label and you don't understand the ingredients and you don't know what's on it, you don't need to be eating it. That The body's dealing with foreign substances that are not natural, that is suppressing the immune system. It also causes inflammation in the body. Inflammation aggravates many health conditions, heart disease being a big one. So if you've got plaques in your, in your arteries, which is you know cholesterol deposits and things like that, 
you know, causes inflammation. Those can rupture, leads to heart attacks, etc. You know, the same thing, stroke, diabetes, all of that. Inflammation plays a huge role, and it's our diet. So if you stop and think about, well, what happened to our diet? If you, we roll the clock back and we look back into, let's say, the 70s, that's when we started seeing a lot of the fast foods start popping up. Prior to that, you always ate at home. You know, bread was homemade. You know, I realized, you know, usually there was a, a, a mother at home that could handle that. We don't have that so much now. But the diet changed. Even when margarine came on board, that happened World War II. We had a shortage, butter, you know, the whole nine yards. And so they designed margarine. It was cheap. So they added hydrogenated oils and nickel to make it solid. Here, we've got cheap butter. Everybody eat it. Well, we found out what a disaster that was because that's trans fats. And that's like zero consumption. I mean, it's not acceptable to consume. It really attributes to heart disease. Okay. So there was a lot of errors in the diet that, that started occurring. So we started finding, you know, these refined oils and frying foods, et cetera. What, so convenience What foods. oils should we be using? The oils you should be using, olive oil is the number one out there. Now, olive oil does not withstand a lot of high heat. If you want to saute, because I don't advocate frying at all, but if you want to saute food, you can do it with avocado oil that's cold-pressed. So any cold-pressed oil, which is avocado oil, uh, olive oil, those are good, but the avocado can withstand a little bit more heat if you're going to saute something. The other oils have been altered, engineered, you know, high temperatures, you know, to convert them to what they are, likely inflammatory-causing, so you want to avoid that. I have two olive oils at home. One of them is an extra virgin oil mm -hmm. and the other one is just, it just says olive oil. And that one says more appropriate for, for cooking. Yes. Can I, can I do that? It is more appropriate, but I would make sure it's at a very low temp for cooking. Okay. The extra virgin olive oil is the most healthiest, the, the highest in the omegas, etc. So that's the one that you want to use. I use it, I make my own balsamic vinaigrette dressings because a lot of the salad dressings, any of the condiments are, first of all, loaded with an unbelievable amount of sodium, but they have high fructose corn syrup in them and ingredients that I have absolutely no idea what they are, preservatives, you don't need that. Salad dressings are actually really easy to make. So like a balsamic vinaigrette is just balsamic vinegar and some olive oil and a little bit of garlic and you shake it up and it sits on the shelf for a few days, you know. It's quite easy to do that and be healthy and not have to go to a lot of trouble because I'm busy, you know, so I don't want to sit in the kitchen for two hours after I get home at night. So, but yes, that's that's what I would do. And, but avocado oil is, is probably one of the better oils too if you do saute some things lightly. What are the worst things that we could eat? You mentioned processed foods. Mm -hmm. What else is absolutely terrible for you well chips cookies crackers anything that's if man has altered it it's not good this is my diet rule now i'll tell you and dieting isn't also an issue because everybody wants to follow a diet but then they get off the diet and they gain all their weight back they just do because you didn't do a lifestyle change so besides processed foods are there any other absolute no-no's 
in food to consume that we should we should not buy, we should not have in our house, <laughs> throw it away. Well, I could list some things, but I'm not going to, you know, offend certain groups of people. So I guess what I want to say is, you know, the typical cardiac diet would be like the Mediterranean diet. You want to have more fish, lean meats like chicken, okay? If you do red meat, you know, the recommendation is just two or three servings a week. Make it sure it's very lean, you know, like a sirloin, etc. I know some people like more. We have a lot of cattle ranchers around in this area, and, you know, grass-fed beef is good. Okay. The problem with a lot of the beef is the fact that they're, it's grain-fed. Okay. So your omega-3 to omega-6 ratios gets inversed. Okay. You want more omega-3s than you do omega-6s, but grain diets in humans and in cows, okay, or chickens or whatever, if you eat grain feed them, the content in the meat, the omega-6 rises, that's inflammatory causing. Okay. So you want grass-fed beef because that raises the omega-3s. That's part of the problem with our diet, and that started happening when we got away from grass-fed because the population's growing. we got to feed these cows, fatten them up fast, and move on with it, okay? So that's where that happens. That's the big pull for grass-fed meat is because of that. So that's another inflammatory causing so, thing. So grass-fed has omega-3s. Omega-3 yes. and grain-fed has higher omega-6, omega which is unnatural. Unnatural. It gets the balance. Out, you're out of balance. The ratio's wrong, and you have to eat more. You need more omega-3, but you are what you eat. So if you're eating a grain-fed cow, you're going to get too many omega-6s. You're causing inflammation. Okay. So for, in answer to your question, what I always recommend, besides the Mediterranean diet, because that's a good rule of thumb as far as healthy eating, if, if, if it's in a bag or a box, okay, it's processed foods, you don't need it. You know, white sugar, white flour, white rice, that's all processed, heavily processed. You don't really need to eat those things, okay? I tell people to eat food the closest the way God made it. That's the rule of thumb. If you, can't, if you can peel it, slice it, dice it, kill it, then it's probably okay, okay? But if you have to just pop it in the microwave, something like that, highly suspect. It, good food requires a little bit of work. Now, I know a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired, I can't, I can't do all that. Well, I've been going on this journey here for the last two or three years to try and cook healthy for my family. One thing I've learned is those Instant Pot cookers. And you have to peruse through the recipes out there. But there are some really good things you can do that saves time and actually feeds your family decently without having to rely on just, you know, mac and cheese and a hot dog. What about air fryers? You know, air fryers, I, I think there's some validity to them. They will crisp up things and, you know... Like if you wanted to bake chicken, but you kind of wanted a little crispy. Appease you. Yeah, it does, mm -hmm. you know. But, you know, it depend, it's all depending on what you're putting. If you're breading it, probably not. And if you're going to sit there with this giant plate full of fries that you put in the air fryer, you're kind of undoing it because you're eating a bunch of potatoes that, you know, although they're natural, you know, closest the way God made it, you know, then we've got to look at portion control too. So... Air fryers are a little suspect because people tend to 
you know, be illegal with them as far as dieting. Abuse it, <laughs> abuse it under, under yeah, a, right. thinking they're healthy. Mm-hmm. What about sleep? If you, if you are stressed and you're, you struggle with anxiety, you are not going to have a good sleep pattern mm-hmm. and you're probably not going to get enough sleep. Right. So I would think that you need an adequate amount of sleep to be healthy. Yes, you do. So that helps all the immune of, all system. All of these things are <laughs> are working against being healthy. Mm-hmm. What do you do if if you just cannot sleep? Okay. So we look at sleep in two different ways. If you have trouble falling asleep, that's where you know what. What were you doing? Were you on screen time for the last hour? Because that is a sleep disruptor, the blue lights, all of that stuff, okay? That disrupts that sleep. Your last 30 minutes to an hour before bed doesn't need any screen time. If you're going to read something, you know, grab a book, grab your devotional, whatever it is, do something like that. So no screen time before. Alcohol, although people say, oh, it makes me sleepy, it relaxes, it is a sleep disruptor. So you may initially fall asleep, but you're not going to sleep as well. So it's a poor substitute for sleep aid. But you have to look, and if you, you know, came right off the ball fields and came into bed, you know, you don't have a wind-down time. So there's reasons why people have trouble falling asleep. Now, there's people that have trouble staying asleep. That's a whole different ball game. Now, that's when we get into cognitive or the mind, and that's when it requires mind training in order to Go back to sleep once Explain you... Explain that. Okay. What that's, is mind training? Yeah, mind training. So it, it's behavioral training. Now, there are professionals that do that. And if you if my little tips here don't help you, then go find a professional to help you with that, okay? Because that is not my thing here. But I will tell you from experience and in talking with patients and from what I've learned is if you're waking up, and I'll, I'll give you an example because I, I have an issue with this, Okay. I'll get up and I'll go to the bathroom. I'll climb back in bed. Well, I'm just starting to plan my day. I've got the to-do list going, you know, wondering about, well, okay, this patient, what am I going to do with them tomorrow and blah, 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 you know. So I'm already working in my head. Well, you know, it's 2 a.m. I need, you know, three or four more hours of sleep, right? So first of all, you have to try and avoid doing that, which is difficult because I'm a thinker and I'm an overthinker and and that's just the way God made me and I'm not going to apologize for it, but I have to manage it. So what I do is I focus. Now, one thing I do is I'll do ABCs, and what I'll do is I'll find like a Bible character. A, Abraham. B, Bathsheba. C, Christ. D, David. You know, and I'll go through the alphabet. It's something repetitive, and it's making you stay focused on one thing rather than trying to solve world hunger and all the other problems we have in the world, okay? Okay. Oftentimes, I don't get to the end of the alphabet, okay? But if you have trouble with that, oftentimes, white noise, there are free apps on the phone. You turn that on, you do the white noise, and just have that fogging, raining sound, whatever it is you like, because there's there's different ones to choose from. That helps a lot, because that tends to lull you to sleep. But a lot of it is training your mind to stay either focused on one thing or letting go. That is the problem with staying asleep. Now, one thing I didn't talk about on falling asleep is also caffeine consumption. That is a big deal. We drink a lot of caffeine. I'm a huge coffee lover, I admit it, but I rarely drink caffeine past 2 in the afternoon. It does disrupt my sleep. It also aggravates restless leg syndrome, so anybody who has that, 
any kind of type of sleep disorder movements, things like that, you need to avoid the caffeine after a certain amount of time because it it does disrupt sleep even though you think, well, I haven't had any in a few hours. It, it actually carries through. So you have to be careful with that too. So to be healthy, we need to have lifestyle changes. Mm-hmm. We need to modify our behaviors, probably modify our, our attitudes. Is there anything that is just strictly physical that doesn't start in the head? <laughs> well, it all does. I mean, first of all, you have to make a choice in your mind. But honestly, get a buddy and go walking. You're just going to have to have somebody hold you accountable and put your feet to the fire. Once you get that person and they're like, when you say, I don't feel like it, because we all do. I have days like that. And they're like, I don't care if you don't feel like it. Come on, get your shoes on and let's go. If you have that kind of person, you'll start exercising. There's a sense of well-being from exercising. Eventually, once you start doing those things, the rest of it follows. You have to start somewhere. You get that accomplishment. I walked every day this week. That makes you feel like you've accomplished something. So you're not hard on yourself. You can pat yourself on the back and say, okay, a girl, you know, what's next? Then it's just different things. Once again, it's a choice. It's in the mind. I choose not to drink that Dr. Pepper as much as I really want one. I can have the treat on Saturday, but I can't drink them any other time. And once you start making those choices, it's like this is what I tell smokers. I said, you know, you say you can't quit, and I, I realize it is very hard to quit. I know. I was raised by a smoker, been around smokers all my life. I know that. But who's in charge? You or the cigarettes? And once you realize that, and it, you can tell the cigarettes, okay, I can still have you, I can smoke you, but I choose to wait 15 minutes. And so there's this delayed gratification, and you start pushing it off 15 minutes this week, 30 minutes the next week, an hour the next week. Because who's in charge? You know, the cigarettes are you. So you tell the cigarettes what to do, not the other. The cigarettes don't tell you what to do. It's the same thing with exercise, eating. You know, I can have that Dr. Pepper. I choose not to. I'll get to you later, and I'll enjoy it when I get it. You talked about how everyone is so busy, but what I'm hearing from you is the importance of almost a structured routine Mm -hmm. to take care of yourself. Yes. And that in our busyness, we have a deprived sense of joy Mm -hmm. in our life. So kind of lay it out. What what would be a good routine for someone to have in a day? You should get up at the same time every day. I'll say that. Okay? And then you should go to bed at the same time every night because it's the people who, you know, 10 o'clock this night, 1 a.m. the next, you know, you keep bouncing around. Even on weekends, if you can, I realize there are certain circumstances that you might stay up late. But if it's going to bed at the same time, getting up at the same time, that establishes healthy sleep patterns. Abnormal sleep also has been implicated in weight gain or inability to lose weight, I might say. So you really want to focus on the sleep patterns. That's important. You know, children actually crave structure. Children thrive in environments where there's structure. And 
you know, psychologists know this, pediatricians know this, even some parents know it, you know, children actually want structure and they need it for sleep as far as well-being, even in school, you know, other social outings, they do need some structure. Adults need it too. And we tend to, well, we'll take care of the kids in the structure department, but we're out there, you know, doing this, that, and the other and not really following a routine. It's very important that you do. And it'll show up in your health if you're not. And it's just a matter of doing inventory. You know, what's really important? It's okay to say no. I think people have a hard time saying no. They don't want the people to be mad at them or they, you know, don't want to be a disappointment or they're afraid they're going to miss out. The American society has FOMO, fear of missing out, big time. And the bottom line is, is, you know, I've decided at the end of my days, I'm going to be like, well, did I do everything and anything or did I do what was most important for me and my family and my patients eventually? And you have to, you have, that's how you inventory. I think we're too busy chasing Instagram moments mm-hmm. to capture and, and post as opposed to sometimes just doing the work and taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes social media, there are some very legitimate things out there, but some, some things it's, it's, you can get unhappy seeing all the happy families because you're like, well, my family's just not, doesn't measure up to that. It's not reality, really. I think everybody has issues that just we just don't see everybody's issues. So you have to not buy into that lie either and learn to be, well, I think that's great. I'm glad they had their vacation. They look happy. Good for them. But don't be sitting there using that as a measuring stick, thinking I must be liking because I don't have that or that I don't feel what their feeling looks like. Do you think people are generally unhappy? in today's society? I do. I think because the American society, we have decided to pursue things and material possessions. And honestly, you can't take them with you, can you? You can't. And so while it's nice to have those things, I don't think that should be our sole focus. The, the, the dollar doesn't make you happy. It's what you do with the dollar. I think we tend to feel more gratified and happier in giving and in contributing to the human lives, animal welfare, anything like that, child welfare. welfare. That's really where the joy comes. And you'll see that. You get more of a sense of gratitude. If you don't have gratitude or something that promotes that in your life, you know, being self-centered and selfish, that tends to lead towards depression, self-hate, hatred of others. You can be so focused on yourself and achieving your own goals that when you're not helping fellow man, then there's not a balance. And I think that shows in a lot of people. We've lost that. We don't talk to our neighbors anymore. We don't. You, you see a lot of lack of involvement or it's superficial, or we tend to rely more on social media and say, well, yeah, I have lots of friends, but, you know, when did you last take a casserole dish to your friend? I think we're, like you said, we are all, we know there's a void, mm-hmm. and we're trying to fill it, 
but we're chasing the wrong things for gratification. Mm-hmm. So do you keep a gratitude journal? I don't keep a gratitude journal, but I do an inventory periodically in my quiet time. And I do. I get up early intentionally and have a time of reflection, a time that I, I spend uh, with the Lord. And I do periodically, I will do an inventory. What am I grateful for? I'm grateful for the absolute breath that I'm breathing right now. I'm grateful just to have a roof over my head. I'm grateful I have a car that runs and tires that are good. Grateful for food in my belly. You know, we have to stop and think about the very basics, the ABCs, air, breathing, (laughs) circulation, food, water. Because if we don't have any of those things, we have absolutely nothing. And so you can start at the basics and move forward, you know. So so let's continue in your day. You're going to get up in the morning mm-hmm. at a set time, go to bed at a set time. Mm-hmm. How else do you structure your day? How do you prioritize? What should we be prioritizing in our life okay. for a healthy lifestyle? For a healthy lifestyle... You have to prioritize. First of all, let's talk about meal making because that's going to come up right off the bat. So every weekend, I tend to kind of plan out meals. So there are no surprises. When I get home at night, we all know what we're going to have to eat. And I have a list on the fridge. And you can pick, you know, what we're going to have. But we're going to have whatever's on the list eventually that week. So don't get too picky because you'll see it maybe the following night. And... So that way there's not any, oh my gosh, I forgot to set the hamburger out or I didn't, you know, do this or that. So in the morning I look and I'm like, as I'm waiting for the coffee to brew and I'm like, yeah, that's what we're going to have tonight. The groceries are there. You know, I go once a week and I make sure everything's stocked up that we have. There's a little bit of flexibility there, but for the most part, there's not any of that temptation to just grab fast food on the way home. So I prioritize that so I'm not stressed out over dinner. There's no surprises. I've learned to cook healthy in a shorter amount of time so I'm not, because I'm tired when I get home. I don't want to be standing on my feet. Family helps a lot, thank God. So we try to make it a family-oriented help because it's not fair if I'm working full-time. And women, we tend to, well, we have to do it all. But that was a conversation early in my marriage that, we're going to share some of these responsibilities as long as I work full-time as well. And thankfully, that's how it works. And I know that can't be in every situation. I also have already laid my clothes out the night before, so there's not any um, rushing to get to work. I drink my coffee. I have my, my quiet time. I have my alarm set so I don't go over, so I'm not rushed. I close up. And I go into the bathroom, take my shower, do all that. My clothes are already laid out. There is no thought about anything in the morning. And I have a little thing. If we had leftovers from the night before, there's a card sitting right by the coffee pot that tells me to take my lunch. I don't have to think about it. Because when I pack it up the night before, I put that card by the coffee pot. So I don't get out the door because I forgot my lunch. So it's the little things. If you're a little bit more organized, you can do that. Another thing I do at night is I'll put on a load of laundry in the washing machine. While the coffee's brewing and I'm figuring out the menu for the night, I go in and take those clothes out of the washer and stick them in the dryer. 
So I don't have a day of laundry all day. I have ongoing laundry, maybe a load every other day or something. So I don't... You don't have 10 loads on the weekend. No, and I'm not... Because who wants to do that? Who wants to spend your time off working at home? Not me. (laughs) And so that's just things that I do to stay structured. You know, does it happen perfectly every day? No, but most days it does. So what else? So now you're... I'm going to work. You're going to work. And work is structured for me, you know, you know, patient appointments, etc. So that's pretty much, you know, you have some control over that and no control over some of it. And that's okay. It's the nature of the beast. So, but then once you're off, what are you going to do? So the tendency is to just, well, you know, come home, you know, run quick errand, whatever. But the week's planned. If I have a meeting, if I'm, you know, meeting somebody, you know, whatever, going straight home. You know, my son's got an activity. You know, you already know about those things. Heads up. Occasionally there's surprises, but that's just how life is. There's <laughs> extra things we forgot mm-hmm. about or didn't plan. You get home. We fix, we fix dinner. We clean up. And then it's like, you know, who needs me? You know, Mm -hmm. everybody's trained. We all, you know, if you have needs, you better make them, you know, don't come wake me up at 10 o'clock saying, I need to go to Walmart because I have a project. Mm -hmm. We don't do that. You know, Mm -hmm. who's got, you know, who's got homework? Who's got, you know, you know, I asked my husband, do you need anything for me tonight? You know, we make sure those needs are met. And then I've got my free time. I do a little screen time at that point. Also, sometimes I'll do continuing medical education because, you know, you have to do so many Mm -hmm. hours a year. I'll do a little short segment, and um, then I'm ready to go to bed at 9 o'clock, whether I go to sleep or not, I'm ready. But I get up quite early, so 9 o'clock is generally about when I'm starting to feel very sleepy. So the importance of organization and proper planning Mm -hmm. are key to a healthy lifestyle. It is. Very key, and if you give yourself some credit, if you don't get it right the first time, it's okay. You can you get to redo it tomorrow. You can adjust. Absolutely can adjust. And, you know, my plan may not work for you. You may have to do it a little bit differently. But if you find a plan, you will. If you're looking for a plan and you're determined to make things be a little bit more organized so you have less stress otherwise, you'll find it. And it's a priority thing. I don't want to go grocery shopping on the weekends, and I go early in the mornings. I don't deal with the crowds. I just go knock it out, and then I've got my entire day. The laundry's done. I might have to sweep the floor or something, but, you know, it's trying to bank your time and using your time more wisely. I don't know if everyone would appreciate that lifestyle of, of organization just because I think so many people have lived in a constant state of chaos mm-hmm. for so long that they don't they don't know any other right. way it's unfamiliar otherwise mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to even take that first step it'd be like well, I don't even know where to begin mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. hopefully they'll take a few of the the steps yeah. and and tools that you have supplied there yes. to to get them on their way and, like you said, make, make adjustments along the way that will work for them. Right. And some people don't have a supportive environment, and that can be incredibly frustrating for a person who's trying to get organized, and yet everybody around you is totally, you'll feel unappreciated, you'll feel angry. That'll contribute to your stress. So you have to find 
one area that you can control. And if it's just that one load of laundry at night that you put in the dryer the next day, you know, you just find your small wins. And it, a win That's is important. a win. <laughs> Hands down, a win's a win. A win is a win. <laughs> you and I have talked about it, but we're going to talk about it here, and that's gut health. Talk, talk a little bit about that. There's been a lot of research lately on the microbiome. You know, what's that? That's this film of bacteria that basically lives on you. And we all have it. Good bacteria, bad bacteria, indifferent bacteria. You know, some of them keep you healthy. Some of them aren't good for you, but the healthy bacteria keeps it in line. Okay? Because, you know, we eat things, you know, things in our system. So the microbiome got interrupted with antibiotics, etc. So there's been things that we do that actually kills off good bacteria. People get yeast infections, you know, diarrheal diseases, things like that when there's antibiotic use. So those things disrupt it, but we have found, and the research is coming in now, that the immune system relies heavily on a good gut health system. And so while while we don't routinely say just take all these probiotics, there is evidence that probiotic replacement is very necessary, especially if you've been on an antibiotic, you should probably take a good one. There's lactobacillus uh, supplements. You want to take a good one. You want to make sure that the the bacteria are live when you take it. You can get live cultures and yogurt and things like that. But it's important to do that. There's also natural ways to restore gut health. There are, like the cruciferous vegetables like cabbage, which is sauerkraut. It's the type of things that have been treated like the sauerkraut. Kefir, which has, uh, it's a kind of a dairy drink that has a lot of probiotics in it. It's really good for gut health in the way it's been designed. It Some people, sound good. It, the plane is weird. Uh, you have to, what I do with kefir, and you don't drink large amounts of it because there are calories in it. So I just throw some blueberries and then spin it in the blender and drink it from time to time. If you drink the kind that are already made and strawberry flavored and all that, they taste great, but you're getting the calories. So you have to be careful about that. There's different foods like that. There's some people they're drinking, it's called kombucha. Mm-hmm. And I have yet to try that, but I'm curious, and I'm probably, it's actually been on my radar, and I've been exploring brands. That would be great. Those are natural ways to restore gut health, and I think they're a lot more successful than a handful of pills. Not saying pills aren't important and can't work, but I think if you're just wanting to make sure all is right and in balance, those are better ways to do it, to occasionally eat foods like that. Definitely will boost the immune system. Once again, you know, we've been talking about inflammation, Mm -hmm. things like that. If you've got a immune system that's limping, you're going to have trouble. So sauerkraut, Mm -hmm. is it, is it pickled food or? Mostly pickled foods. Yes. Mm -hmm. Be careful about salt and stuff in that. If you're having to watch salt in your diet, but yes. So sauerkraut, what about Mm -hmm. with sourdough bread? Is that? Yeah, it, it technically yes, it, it would be good, okay. But then you you're getting calories there too, you know, and it's made with the white flour, etc. So it all depends on what you do with it. It really does. So sh- should you supplement with a probiotic regularly, or only if you've been on an antibiotic? If you've been on an antibiotic, and a lot of providers are now recommending that routinely. They're saying, hey, 
you know, and some of them have favored brands. You know, I wouldn't just take the cheap generic something or other because they all may be dead in the capsule too. So, but I wouldn't spend a lot of money either because a lot of the supplement industry are just going to, hey, you know, if it sounds good, well, hopefully it is, you know, but you don't want to waste your money either on something that might be a subpar product. So the food supplementation is the the, the best way yes. to do it. But if you're on antibiotic, I certainly would take uh, probiotics apart from the antibiotic. Don't take them together because they're going to kill them whenever they get in contact, but opposite of the doses. And for maybe a week after antibiotics, yes, definitely, to make sure you restore the, the, the normal flora or, you know, microbes that need to be there. What are three of the most important things someone can do for their health? I think sleep. Work on your sleep issues if you need it, because that's going to be telling, okay? It ages you fast. It affects the immune system, as we've discussed. I think eating the right foods. You are what you eat, if you want to last a while, then you need to eat better, okay? That's just the bottom line. There's only so many pills that are going to help, and they don't fix everything. I think as Americans, we put a lot of faith in medicine because we don't want to do the work. And, you know, it can give you a false sense of security. Yes, the medicines that we use do work, but nothing helps better than prevention. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you want to prevent. So I think f- what you're putting the fuel, the fuel mm-hmm. for the body is important. And I think the other thing is really a combination of mental and spiritual health. I think that it is important to to like we said exercise gratitude, spend time with God, getting to know him and that is where the balance comes in. You you stay balanced whenever you are focusing on something other than yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that inherently benefits you, you know, for the ages. It really does. Get your mind off yourself and your problems and be more concerned about someone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been fascinating and educational and I know we covered a lot of subjects and topics today and went a lot of different directions, but hopefully we've we've given someone a baseline that if they're wanting to adjust their lifestyle to improve their health, that you've given them a good starting point and a good goal to get there. So thank you for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure, Julie. Thank you for asking. And we'll have you back if people listen to this and you have a lot of questions. Okay. Um, we'll have you back. Okay. Would love it. Thank you. You've been listening to Rise Up with Julie Baumgartner. Thank you for listening today. Rise up and let's be the best that we can be. And listen to this podcast that will both motivate and educate. Thank you. Thank you.